Good morning. I'd like you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to start in Matthew chapter 1. As this morning, we set about celebrating Christ. For a long time, as a result of the pandemic and many of the things, uh, restrictions and otherwise, a prudence and caution, things have been different and changed around here. We pray that in some ways this morning there is a sense of normalcy that returns to our Christmas season, and even more importantly, to the frame of mind that each of us must hold to and have as we enter into a season in which we celebrate the world calls Christmas. You know, when we reflect upon this season of celebration, for me personally as pastor, I I sense that there are several times in each year that kind of set the tone for the year and prepare us for whatever lies ahead. I think the State of the Church address in January kind of lays out succinctly a plan of where we're headed and, and what we hope to accomplish throughout the context of a new and a fresh year. I also believe that the celebration offering and the celebration banquet is a pivotal time for us to reflect upon all of the blessings that God has given to us. And He cast a vision for how God might use us outside of the walls of this place to minister to people in a very needy and desperate world, and quite frankly, minister to people in a very needy and and desperate state and situation. I never know what might come in in a celebration offering, but God always surprises me through you. And He blesses us abundantly. The funds that you gave will be so critical as we reach out to other churches who are struggling with the COVID aftermath and many of the changes they did not and could not anticipate in their ministry. Not every church is blessed like we've been blessed here at First Baptist. And I hope you don't take that for granted. And I hope you know that the leadership does not take you for granted. But sometimes ministry can become so ingrown that we only think about ourselves and we only think about our needs. And about five years ago, we cast the vision that we think bigger than that. that we reach out to other places and other people and other, other houses of worship who are doing the same thing that we're doing on any given Sunday without all of the blessings and the benefits that we hold. We have resources to assist at least three, if not four, other churches in this coming year with some of the needs that they have because of that benevolence offering. We're also going to come alongside churches by way of donations to not-for-profit organizations that are taking on behalf of the church some of the legal battles that have been fought and are inevitable to be fought in the very near future. Maybe someday that will be us. Right now, not so, but God has blessed us to give. I'm encouraged that we can do some pretty creative things with our live stream audience. We welcome you again to First Baptist as you tune into us throughout even the United States. We want to minister to you. We want you to to experience and to know some of the blessings that, that we have and We'd like to get you to know you a little bit different than just someone who tunes in on a Sunday, and many of these resources are going to go towards that. So thank you for your generous giving. I also believe that there is 
a critical Sunday that happens every year that kind of frames the holiday season for us. And by holiday, I mean the celebration of Christmas. You know, we can go in a thousand different directions, and quite frankly, up until the pandemic, many churches did. It was a time of taxing for most churches where there were all kinds of plays and pageants and presentations and demands on people's schedules, et cetera, and et cetera. We found ourselves at the beginning of the pandemic and then particularly the following year not able to do some of those things. And if you recall last Christmas season, I reflected on the notion that that might not be a bad thing for us to declutter this celebration and kind of put to perspective this season that we set aside in our culture to commemorate and to celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I shared with at least one or two deacons just before we began this morning, I believe that it's the first Sunday in December when we sit down at the Lord's table. This is one of the most critical Sundays of the year to remind us of the things that matter most so that we don't get ahead of ourselves and make this about everything that it's never been about. Very succinctly in Matthew chapter 1, we read in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Pray with me, please. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you might bless us this morning as we gather together around this table of remembrance in this season of celebrating Christ, that you might grant us perspective, that you might help us to sort through the busy, crazy lives and schedules that uh, control our, our every waking moment, and sometimes even more than that. I pray that in the midst of a seismic paradigm shift in culture when it comes to worldview, that we would know and have the comfort and the promise and the assurance that the Savior has come and everything is going to be okay. In those darker seasons that so many of our people know so very well, when life seems to take a, a left turn and they're faced with challenges and situations that they never anticipated. I pray that today might give them a great sense of peace and hope as we reflect primarily on the Scripture, as we 
meditate at the table of remembrance as we examine our lives and as we kind of set the stage for celebrating our Savior in the season of Christmas, I pray that you might bless in everything that we say and do, that all praise and honor and glory for what we do would be to you alone, and that indeed we would find that place in whatever way and whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, that we will find the place of celebrating Christ. We would ask that you would accept our worship both now and forevermore every day of our lives, but in this season especially. We minimize the distractions and understand the things that matter most in a life-changing and altering way, and may the peace of God rest on the people of God for the glory of God alone. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. When we reflect upon the words of Matthew's gospel, it is such a succinct passage of Scripture that brings together many prophecies of the Old Testament and to the particular reality of the birth and the coming of a Savior reflects upon those prophecies and the faithfulness of God, but it also reflects on the faithfulness of people, particularly Mary and Joseph, as they receive the announcement of the birth of our Savior with perplexity, with an understanding that perhaps we could never garnish and gather but with a succinct reality that the birth of this child indicated the presence of God Himself, God with us. There's so much that we can unpack in these few verses about the theology of the Old Testament coming alive in the New Testament, fulfilled in every single way. The beginning of the gospel lived out by the person and work of Jesus Christ that we celebrate in that season of Christmas. We could reflect upon all of the deep truths of of theology and doctrine embedded in this text, and we can resist the notion, and not all the time do we do this, to try and come up with something new and fresh and creative for the holidays. Been there and done that got tired of it a long time ago. I don't have to invent anything. I don't have to come up with anything new. The words of the Scripture and the celebration of our Savior should be sufficient to get us through this month and beyond. So it changes our focus, and it grants us peace, and it reminds us of hope and promise. And yet, there is still the necessity of reflecting upon these Christmas texts as we celebrate this table of remembrance. We move from Matthew and the succinct glory and grandeur of all that text reveals about the coming of this Savior. I'm reminded as I drive by church signs and look at message series, and I've even probably been guilty of this in the past. We we speak these messages, and these messages are about surviving the holiday or reveling in the holiday. You'll even see these sermon titles out there. What does it mean to survive a holiday? I don't even know what that means. Perhaps that's a reflection of the uncertainty of our times. Perhaps that is steered back to the celebration of Christ. What does it mean to revel in the holidays? 
does it mean to, to, to mark a point in time of, of festivities and parties and laughter and, 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 and merry? That term holidays has always concerned me a little bit because holidays is so much bigger than the simple message of Matthew chapter 1. And it's not that the holidays are wrong necessarily. We have our family traditions, and we have our Christmas traditions, and there are certain things that we become accustomed to, and and we love to celebrate them. They're an important part of our celebration. They're an important part of our holidays. But in spite of all of those traditions and celebrations, that doesn't take us to the place that we need to be all of the time celebrating Christ. Again, it's not that those things are wrong, but celebrating the holidays is never sufficient to move in the hearts of God's people to bring peace. If you've lived in the real world for any length of time, celebrating the holidays sometimes brings a giant gasp of relief afterwards because things get crazy. They don't need to be. And this is the last place they should be here at at First Baptist when God's people gather together. That's why I believe that this this Sunday is critical in in framing and and defining the very things that we want to do and accomplish in the context of this season. Without doubt, Christmas is arguably the most widely celebrated holiday throughout the whole world, in fact peoples and nations setting aside time for this celebration. Yet at the same time, I've got to believe that it's one of the most misunderstood of all of the celebrations and holidays, because it's become untethered from the very thing it's all about and become about all of the externals. So, I want to bring it home, like we always used to do and now have the opportunity to do on this first Sunday in December. The Bible is very clear from the beginning of the grand narrative of the Bible about the coming of Christ and the promise of a Savior. The truth of the matter is that that when we reflect upon the gospel, the Bible teaches us that there is a burden that this world exists under, a weight that is experienced throughout all of the world as a direct result the curse that's recorded for us, the first book in the Bible. If you know anything about what happened, Adam and Eve in a perfect environment, a glorious environment, an environment that the Bible says was very good, they sinned against a holy and righteous God. They decided perhaps their way was better. They could blame Satan, and they tried. They could blame each other, and they tried. Or they could own that responsibility, and God would make them own that responsibility. But there's always a consequence for disobedience, and there's always a consequence for for a lost perspective, and there's always a consequence for sin. And the weight of that confidence changed the garden. In fact, it was closed off now to Adam and Eve. The weight of the consequence of that sin bore huge burden for Eve and for Adam, for the rest of mankind. In fact, for the very garden and all of God's grand creation on top of that, there is not one single thing in the created world that was untouched by the curse of sin, not one single 
fame. Paul reminds us of that as he writes to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 8, where he writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. All of the world bearing this this weight and consequence and burden of sin… You know, I've asked the question sometimes in our culture, how did we get here? I think this sums up how it all started. We are simply bearing the results of a sin that changed everything. Is it any wonder that our culture is in disarray? Is it any wonder that our culture has lost its ways? Is it any wonder that even in the church we sometimes lose our perspective and purpose of our being? Paul reminds us that not only the creation is groaning, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Even we groan. Even we feel the burden and the weight of the curse and sin. Even we are waiting, even with the promises that we have for the redemption of our body and the completion of our salvation to the glory of God alone, and it all started in Genesis. But even in Genesis, the Scripture is clear, God had made a way. God always makes a way, doesn't He? For those of you who are here who are, who are struggling, you're experiencing the weight of this sin, there's a God of the universe who is sovereign over the whole domain, who knows the end from the beginning. He knows your name. He knows your pain. He knows the season that you're in, and He has a plan. He has a purpose, and He hopes to bring about the restoration of all things. But here's the catch. And I sense that this has been a problem much in Christianity in the last 20 years. Sometimes when we read about these promises in Scripture, sometimes when we we deal with the particular perspectives unveiled for us in Scripture, even this waiting eagerly for adoption of sons and the redemption of our body, we are trapped into making these promises temporal in nature. In other words, we want God to do it, and we want Him to do it today. Thank you. But that's not how this works. And the creation will continue to groan and you will continue to groan until our God and Savior Jesus Christ says, enough. It's done. It's over. It is complete. Wherever you read the words of Jesus, we have this tendency to try and make all of these promises applicable today. The wealth and prosperity preachers do that very well. But they take the eternal promises of God and make them temporal in nature. They take these eternal promises and they make them fleshly and lifestyle kind of promises. But every time in the Scripture that Jesus spoke in His public ministry, 
And as he spoke throughout to these, these New Testament writers under the inspiration of Scripture, he always spoke eschatologically. He didn't speak about today or, or tomorrow. It was always the big picture. And I fear that sometimes in the Christmas season, we lose sight of the big picture. When you lose sight of the big picture, you're prone to feel that burden a little bit heavier, that weight adding to itself as you carry it through life, because you've lost your perspective. God's promises are true. He always keeps His promises, but He doesn't do it on our time frame, and He doesn't do it on, on our schedule. He doesn't do it according to our whims, but He does it. And through the promise of the Messiah coming as the Savior of the world, bearing the sins of His people, Emmanuel, God with us, it grants to us a perspective that takes us outside of the circumstances of life and brings us back to the eschatological, eternal perspective of the words of the Scripture, so that no matter how bad today might be, you've heard this before, a better day is coming. Don't misinterpret that as tomorrow or the next day. That better day is when we see Him and we stop groaning. We stop feeling the weight and the burden of sin. The holidays cannot do that for you. But a Savior can, and that's why we celebrate Christ. Sometimes in this Western world, how can we do that without a cantata? What do you think people in third world countries or oppressed countries do? You think they don't celebrate Christmas because there's not a children's program? No, they gather in their basements and bring glory to God through Jesus Christ, and they celebrate. Why? Because that is where the promise resides. Not in temporal circumstances, not in stuff, not in our time frame with this notion that it is finished and we're just waiting sometimes impatiently, sometimes wearily, we are waiting for the groaning to stop. It is coming. He will make all things new. But it's not in the holidays. It is in the person and work of Jesus Christ for His glory alone. That's why we celebrate Christ in this season that we call Christmas. For a lot of months, we gathered together on live stream and weren't able to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Once we started gathering together for a couple of months, we still didn't celebrate, trying to be sensitive to the culture and trying to be sensitive to all that was transpiring, trying to be considerate of our people who are in a hundred different places when it came to the pandemic and safety and etc. We then introduced this section of the celebration of the Lord's Supper post-live stream. We celebrated together after the live stream celebration, but I thought perhaps it would be a very healthy, healthy thing for us to get back to a little sense of normalcy, and to celebrate like we have in the past, not exactly, but to celebrate like we have in the past, and to allow our live stream audience 
to see why we make much of Jesus and why we do what we do and why we even celebrate this thing called Christmas, the celebration of our Savior. I would encourage the people who are connected with us on live stream, our own people who are shut in, some because of compromised immunities and other things can't be with us during this time frame in history. To look forward to the day that you can come and, and meet with us. I believe this is to be celebrated in purpose or, or, or with the purpose of, of gathering together, understanding the bond that we have in Christ, coming to this table of remembrance. We're going to incorporate this into our service this morning. It won't be exactly how you understand it to be. I pray that it is a great encouragement to our people. We're so faithful in celebrating with us until this time in life. I pray that you could see the body celebrating Christ and be encouraged in this Christmas season in spite of your groaning that everything's going to be okay. And I pray that as God's people, we take the time to examine ourselves, to reflect upon the truth, to come to the table in quietness, listening, paying attention to the still small voice of the Spirit through the Word of God, to celebrate Christ. In the end of the day, He's all we have, but that's more than enough, isn't it? That's why we gather at the table. It's easy to forget that. It's easy to lose your way sometimes. It's easy as a congregation to get distracted. We want to take that away. As we celebrate this together, we'll be partaking of the elements, but we will be doing what we did in 2019, which seems like an eternity ago. Before we celebrate the bread, we will read the Christmas account from Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. Before we celebrate and partake together of the cup, we will reflect upon the crucifixion account that we find in Matthew 26 and 27. I encourage you to avail yourself of the opportunity and quietness to examine yourself and to meditate on those Scriptures and to listen as we celebrate the things that matter most in the context of this Christmas season. And I, for one, am glad that you're here, and I'm really looking forward to the time that we spend in quietness, hearing the Scripture, and being reminded that everything's going to be okay. May you be blessed for the time that we spend together, and may all of the praise and the honor and the glory be to Christ and to Christ alone.